New Zealand has further strengthened its presence in the all-important Asian market, striking a free trade deal with South Korea after five tough years of negotiating. But as this Radio New Zealand Insight program has been finding out, although New Zealand was the first developed country to sign an FTA with China, it's been struggling to compete in the crowded Korean market, which already has free trade agreements with more than 50 other countries. Today is an important day. It's a special day in the relationship between New Zealand and Korea. The signing of the free trade agreement we have just witnessed opens a new chapter in our bilateral relationship. Korea and New Zealand have been partners since the Korean War, and from those beginnings in hard times over 60 years ago, the relationship has grown enormously. The Prime Minister John Key travelled to Seoul to witness the signing of the deal that will initially save exporters $69 million a year in tariffs and once fully in effect, $230 million. In terms of Asian export markets, South Korea is second only to China for New Zealand with annual trade worth more than $2 billion. It was a difficult deal to negotiate, in part due to pushback from the South Korean agriculture sector. And because the New Zealand market is already largely open, it has less to offer South Korea in terms of reduced tariffs. Yang Kukbo is from Kotra, the South Korean government's trade and investment agency. He says New Zealand's military support for South Korea in the 1950s smoothed the way for a free trade deal in 2015. We received great help from New Zealand during the Korean War. So, so many young people devoted their mission during the Korean War. So, we remember, so not only for the commercial or trade uh, policy, but also the bilateral uh, relationship. We are trying to take agreement with New Zealand. I'm Jane Patterson and I travelled to the South Korean capital Seoul where the free trade deal between the two countries was signed at the presidential residence, the Blue House. The Trade Minister Tim Grosser validated the agreement on behalf of New Zealand. Perhaps the word to use has been an enormous relief, I think, to some of our exporters to get this thing done. It's not a perfect agreement. Uh, there are things that we would have liked to have achieved in it that we didn't achieve but we were playing a massive game of catch-up. It's quite different to what's happened more recently to New Zealand. So normally we've been the first mover. You know, we've been the first country to get the China deal done. We're the only country other than Singapore, slightly more recently, uh, to do any deal with Taiwan. And when we've been the first mover, we've actually, paradoxically, done really well. Here we were in somebody else's dust, okay? So the Europeans had done a deal, the US had done a deal, the Australians had done a deal, Canadians, and they, they last they come to us as the smallest of the players with the least degree of political muscle. Speaking just before the deal was signed, the Prime Minister John Key explained the significance of the deal. Five years in the waiting to get an FTA with one of our bigger trading partners, at the moment, New Zealand and Korea export about $2 billion worth of products to each other, uh, but they have the better part of 45, 50 million people who are high-end consumers. The average Korean earns about the same as the average New Zealander, so they're wealthy consumers, uh, they want to buy our products. Within the next five years, tariffs on a key export to South Korea, kiwi fruit, will lift completely, and tariffs will be reduced on some cheese products, butter and sheep meat in the five years after that. 
It will be up to 15 years before the tariffs are lifted on beef, processed deer velvet and other meat products. Mr Key says that's just part of the deal. Look, it does take time and in the end, like all of these things, um, there's always sensitivities around agriculture and you have to work your way through them. I think what what you're really doing here is setting up a platform for very strong economic growth in those sectors in the years to come, but you're never going to get that overnight as Korea goes through a sort of restructuring of its own industry. After the signing ceremony, a question was put to South Korea's President Park Geun-hye by a local reporter. He wanted to know what his country would get from the deal and how the benefits could be balanced given the limited size of New Zealand as a potential export market for South Korea. New Zealand FTA 다른 차원에서 이 균형을 확보했다고 볼 수가 있습니다. 어떻게 보면 상당히 She explained South Korea will benefit more from the people or service aspects of the deal. That South Korean people will be able to learn agricultural skills from New Zealanders. President Park also said the deal allows for more working holidays for young South Koreans and that she sees the agreement as more about the broader relationships than commodity trade for her country. Mr Yang from the trade and investment agency Kotra says South Korea can leverage off New Zealand's business knowledge to help it target larger markets than its own. For China market, their food industry, fresh agricultural product industry is very big market. So, so many Korean companies is trying to export their fresh uh, manufactured agricultural product to China market. So in that sense, you know, we can invite some New Zealand company to Korea to enjoy the FTA with China and Korea. So we are trying to invite the high technology of New Zealand, especially for the agricultural area, and you are trying to invite some New Zealand investment to Korea to enjoy. And Mr Yang says another advantage of the deal is the complementary nature of the two countries' economies. We have an agreement, FTA agreement, with 52 countries all around the world, and New Zealand is going to be one of them. And especially for the New Zealand, we are not just for trade promotion only or something like that. We are trying to enjoy the complementary cooperation between two countries. As you understand, for New Zealand, and New Zealand is very strong with a fresh agricultural product, a fresh dairy product or something like that. And as you understand, the Korean peninsula is very small, and our uh, agricultural industry is very weak. So we want to enjoy, we want to import the fresh agricultural products from New Zealand. And uh, as you understand, the, the electricity and the automobile industry or shipbuilding industry or something like the Korea very strong. So we can enjoy complementary markets you know, uh, between two countries. Accompanying New Zealand government ministers was a large delegation of business and education representatives with interests in South Korea. Among them was Miles Hurrell from Fonterra. He says a disappointing aspect of the deal is that milk powder is not included. But uh, given the uh, North Americans and the Europeans didn't achieve that, it was uh, always going to be a, a tough road. However, he says the deal will help boost sales of other dairy products. We're, we're very excited about the butter and cheese prospects. Uh, again, since North America, or USA, and, and uh, Europe in particular, have, um, have, uh, have stolen the march, if you like, for the last sort of three or four years, it's great to be, uh, to be back in this market, and uh, the growth prospects are great.
But Mr Hurrell says he can't predict exactly how much more New Zealand producers will earn. Uh, well, we haven't quite worked those numbers out. It's a long, uh, long process. I mean, uh, we've got sort of seven years on cheddar and, and 12 on mozzarella, so it's a long process, but it's, it's, a, uh, it's a steady climb from here. Certainly not, it's not about dropping the price, it's about sending those uh, additional returns back to our uh, shareholders back in New Zealand. But the Trade Minister Tim Grosser says the significance of the deal can't be underplayed as the South Korean market was becoming unsustainable for several sectors. Our exporters were being killed actually by the combination of massive tariffs on some of these uh, areas plus the phasing out of those tariffs for our chief competitors. I mean the, the, the real poster child here is the kiwi fruit industry. The tariff on kiwi fruit was 45%. And Chile, which was the first country in the world to negotiate with Korea, was down, I think they had reached zero. Now, I don't want to um, suggest that Chile and kiwi fruit are uh, not high quality, but clearly the market has a preference for New Zealand kiwi fruit. But 45% price difference? Forget it. You go to some orchards and you'll see you know, wall-to-wall fruit. You know, this is a nice crop, but um, on some orchards, you know, the, the crops are huge. This is uh, a nice crop. It's, it's not large, but typically this, this new Goldsbury vine will actually produce a lot more heavily than what you're seeing here. Um, growers are expecting... Neil Trebilko is a New Zealand kiwi fruit grower and president of the association representing growers. Speaking on an orchard near Todonga, he said the tariffs imposed on South Korean exports have caused a number of problems. It means that growers don't bring it back as much money into New Zealand, but also we had a much larger market share than we do right now, and our market share has gone down because the Chileans, who are our main competitor in our season, uh, they've been exporting to there and they've got a free trade agreement with them and they've had it for some time. And last year um, their duty rate was about 4.5%. And so because of that, you know, they've been able to sell at a much lower price. We do sell at a premium over the Korean, but because of they're able to sell just so much more cheaply than we are, uh, they've been able to out-compete out us to some degree, and it's driven down our market share. Jeju is a volcanic island about 100 kilometres south of the Korean mainland. The New Zealand Kiwi Fruit Cooperative Zespri runs several international operations with licensed growers, including on Jeju Island. The fruit produced there is not subject to the 45% South Korean tariff. They will be periodically checking fruit for uh, the quality and to make sure that the weights and counts are OK. Um, and then the, the fruit itself, once it's a complete pallet, pallet carded, stacked away into the cool store. And then each Brian Donovan is Zespri's supply and development manager for South Korea and Japan. He explains how the Jeju Island operation works. So on Jeju we have around 155 growers and about 105 hectares of Hort 16A. The original planting started in 2004 and we finished in 2007. So the first crop came in about 2006. We basically supply fruit to the Korean market from the months of September through to the end of March, which gives us almost our 12-month supply with the New Zealand fruit. What it does is it enables us to maintain the relationship with our customers for 12 months of the year. It keeps the supermarket shelf occupied with Zespri-branded fruit. The customers get to buy Zespri-branded fruit for 12 months of the year. And, and just that continual supply just keeps everything going, rather than that kind of stop-start, type scenario.
is it more difficult to maintain supply if there is a break of four months? Yeah, um, you have competitor countries, competitor varieties coming in. You know, there's free trade agreement with Europe, etc. So there's Italian fruit now, but they want Zespri fruit because of its quality. So between the Korean supply and the New Zealand supply, we can give it to them for that 12-month period. So the fruit from Jeju, where would that go? Predominantly in Korea. We did do two containers to Singapore this year, but um, we, we sell Jeju's fruit to the whole of Korea. Obviously, Seoul is a big consumption with 20 million people. Wholesale retail markets. The 45% tariff, when that's gone, what difference will that make? So one of the things that we as a company do very well is promotion of kiwifruit. And with a reduction in tariff, it's going to allow us to promote the fruit more than what we currently do and build the category, build kiwifruit as a, a fruit that people want to buy and eat. Marketing, I mean, in Japan, it's a household name. Kiwifruit consumption, it, it's right up there. You know, people are eating kiwi, and we can do the same thing in Korea. And is that because there's extra money in that Japanese market to do that promotion? We don't pay the same tariff in Japan as we do as Korea, and so it gives us that flexibility to push that product a bit stronger. Mr Donovan says the deal will have a direct impact on New Zealand exports. When you're trying to compete against countries that aren't paying that kind of tariff, um, it's very difficult. You know, at the end of the day, people are you know, conscious of what they're spending, and uh, if there's an expensive kiwi fruit and a cheap kiwi fruit, people tend to go towards the cheap one. The only way we compete against that is through quality, so if we can reduce the tariffs, it's, it's going to be massive for New Zealand. Kim Quang Tech has been growing kiwi fruit on Jeju Island for about 10 years under licence to Zespri. He says the biggest challenge was adapting the crop to the local weather. As you can see, Jeju Island has the biggest mountain in uh, South Korea, which is Hala Mountain. So uh, even though it is a very small island, we have different climate in Jeju Island. And so some area is real good for kiwi fruit, and some area is very bad condition. But this area, which is a very east part of uh, Jeju Island also it's not real good condition but still he thinks but he managed real good so he think uh, gold kiwi is quite good for Jeju Island. Mr Kim says unlike in New Zealand all of their kiwi fruit are grown undercover. All of the orchard have the shed, plastic shed so if it is too raining it's a monsoon season they cover the roof and if it is not monsoon season, they need the sunshine, they uncover the roof. Also, they're using the heater, which you can see, uh, for the frost. So actually for the weather, they actually have the very know-how about uh, managing the weather. Also, another one regarding the kind of new disease, which is a side rot. Uh, now they found the uh, chemical, which is really good for the side rot. He says there's a good future for South Korean growers, but the risk of flooding the market has to be managed carefully. It's, it's going to be very important to control the uh, volume of the kiwi and the demand of the customer. So, like Zespri controls very well, but if it is not, like... Uh, uh, grow, uh, growing too much, but the demanding of the customer is low, it's not going to be success. 
Simon Limmer is Zespri's Chief Operating Officer. He says while there are benefits in offshore operations, there are also challenges. The environmental conditions are different. Culturally, different environments as well. Commercially, uh, their expectations are probably not the same as what we would expect out of New Zealand. Uh, And it's just a two-way learning street in terms of coming up to speed with what is expected New Zealand quality standards when it comes to putting a Zespri brand on a piece of fruit. And our understanding as to what the commercial drivers are for, for growers in these different locations just selecting locations, selecting partners, ensuring that we have long-term relationships and that there is a good exchange of technology uh, are all of the conditions which we think uh, are essential to making this business successful. Um, And it just takes a little bit of time for all of those things to fall into place. And did local New Zealand growers take a bit of convincing initially when these offshore operations first started? Yeah, absolutely. The New Zealand industry has over many decades really focused hard on on the quality, on the perception of made in New Zealand kiwifruit. Of course, New Zealand is considered around the world as as the the leader when it comes to kiwifruit and and there's no accident in terms of how that's come about. New Zealand kiwifruit growers have worked very closely together. So they've got a really strong position in the market. Of course, they don't want that undermined by foreign-produced kiwifruit not meeting the standards that they've uh, achieved out of New Zealand. So really essential that um, that we make sure that the quality standards for offshore production are at least as good as what we're producing out of New Zealand, if not better. Cespri also has offshore operations in France, Italy and Japan. Mr Lima says it's now eyeing China, already the world's largest kiwifruit producer. In fact, it produces more kiwifruit than the rest of the world put together. That's about 300 million trays of kiwifruit compared with New Zealand, which is about 100 million trays today. They have um, capacity for about 600 million trays already in the ground, so they're expected to double in terms of production over the next um, three to five years also. Most of that product is consumed domestically, so they're growing in China for Chinese consumption. However, our expectation is that over time their quality is going to improve, they're going to reach a standard which is going to be suitable for export. And we've seen it in the apple industry today. China is the biggest exporter of apples globally. And our expectation is that we're also likely to see Chinese-grown kiwifruit exported. But he says counterfeiting of the Zespri brand is already a major problem in China. We've invested uh, really heavily in the Zespri brand uh, around the world uh, over the last decade, obviously, and China is is no different. China today, we believe that Zespri is, is certainly in the top three recognisable fruit brands, so that's a great position for us to be in. Um, but it's also one that uh, people are, are pretty happy to try and emulate and not always legally. So we're seeing plenty of counterfeit um, or copycat brands uh, in the market. So a, a direct copy of, of a Zespri brand or someone who's, who's pretty close to what we're doing. Obviously, that's a risk to us. It's um, eroding um, confidence in, in our position in the market. The quality isn't backed up by those products. Really hard to stamp it out as well because intellectual property um, is still not clear in terms of um, how to enforce that effectively in China, but we're working hard to try and do that. We have a strong position, but we want to make sure that it's maintained. Another winner in this free trade agreement is Processed Deer Antler Velvet, 
All such exports to South Korea, including unprocessed velvet, are worth about $20 million a year. Prices have lifted by about a quarter since last year, continuing a six-year run of rising prices. New Zealand farmers expressed their disappointment when the deal was first announced, as the bulk of the export product, unprocessed velvet, was not covered by the agreement. The Trade Minister Tim Grosser acknowledged that getting any velvet included was a struggle. It's very interesting, this deer velvet thing, which as far as I know, is, is, it's an aphrodisiac. Let's not beat about the bush. Uh, so... This was also the most difficult issue to resolve in the Taiwan uh, agreement. Uh, we actually did achieve uh, elimination there, but over a very long period of time. So these Asian markets, they're deeply sensitive about this. There's a bit of an argument going on between um, our companies and um, our officials here as to you know what we are measuring here in terms of the predominant interest. The official stats indicate that it's um, dried is the number one export market, but um, I'm not sure that I want to in public speculate on what is really going on. Uh, yep, we took, we would have loved to have seen this. Is this the end of the game? No, absolutely not. Um, these agreements always uh, are looked at again and upgraded and the direction of travel will be in a more liberal direction, but yep, it was another area we couldn't get what we wanted. Much to the amusement of the officials watching on as the Prime Minister held his daily interview with reporters in Seoul, I asked John Key, flanked by Tim Grosser, what he knows about deer velvet. Um, well, apparently it's good for you, and um, some people claim it has all sorts of benefits, but I don't take it. There are sensitivities in the Korean market. Yep. Is that one reason, do you think? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's, it was one of the tougher bits of the negotiation, and I mean, I think they, the industry got some of what they wanted, but not all of what they wanted. Um, but nevertheless, you know, they're supportive of what we're doing. Like any contract, it's a willing buyer and a willing seller. You can't force people to do things. This was a long, protracted and quite challenging negotiation, but on the other side of the coin, one that's very fruitful, and it's a big market from our point of view. Have you taken it? Um, uh, listen, I don't discuss aphrodisiacs in public along with secret matters. Mm. Do you think there's a market, an untapped market for deer velvet in New Zealand? Um, when I get to an old age pension home, I'll let mm -hmm. you know. Mr Kim from Jeju Island was a deer farmer before he converted to kiwifruit about 10 years ago. What does he understand about the benefits of deer velvet? In Korea, we have different medicine style, like one is Chinese medicine and one is like Western style, which is we go to the hospital, whatever. But from that, he thinks uh, in Korea also we can actually treat our body with the food. So deer velvet is one of that as well. So we were talking again before about it being an aphrodisiac. Yeah, um, yeah. What does he say to that? It's not directly effective for that, but he thinks uh, because if you eat very good food and you make your healthy good and you have the more power, so finally, last goal would be that one, so he can say that, yeah. It's good for that, yeah. The chief executive of the Deer Industry Association, Dan Coop, was also part of the business delegation in Seoul. He explains that deer velvet is used for general well-being. So traditionally it would be part of a, a prescribed mixture of herbs 
um, and other ingredients into a, a broth, basically, so that the oriental medicine doctor would prescribe this often to a family. Um, the family would take those ingredients home and, and cook them up and make a sort of a broth or tea, um, which would be consumed over a period of, of time um, by the whole family for 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 largely around immune function but, but general health and well-being. Um, but this is transitioning into those products being, um, so having extracts taken from the products and then incorporated into maybe a sachet drink um, or maybe capsules um, or in some cases sort of jelly type um, sweets and foods. Tim Grosser has talked about it as an aphrodisiac. Is that correct? Is that accurate? Um, well, part of that list of general well-being would include um, what what Koreans would refer to as blood health, so, so circulatory health, um, which I guess has a, has a distant relationship to um, a male function, um, but that's, that's certainly not um, the primary use of the product. Yeah. And that's not really how you want to see this product marketed? Well, it's, it's just simply not, not what it's used for here in Asia. So as I say, the, um, Koreans and, and Chinese have been using this product for thousands of years, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a family product. Dear farmers such as John Spears in Central Hawke's Bay also thinks it's not helpful for politicians to talk about velvet solely as an aphrodisiac. Not helpful at all um, and I'm not sure whether it was just a one-liner throwaway tongue-in-cheek comment probably by Mr Grosser but um, certainly not um, uh, thought of or marketed as aphrodisiac uh, by the New Zealand industry. It's It's really... Um, much more refined than that and um, uh, oriental medicine is, is a huge part of the uh, oriental um, culture and Asian culture and um, has been around a lot longer than western medicine and, and, and velvet forms a very important part of, the, of their culture. Mr Spears says the trade agreement is very important to the New Zealand industry. The, the whole of New Zealand's velvet trade way back as early as I remember um, in the uh, 60s and 70s, um, um, Korea was our main market and um, as the Chinese market and other oriental countries have developed, um, then uh, velvet has been directed into those markets as well. And, and um, But Korea uh, was our early market and, and it is very important in the mix. With trade deals already in place with several other countries in the region, the agreement with South Korea adds a sizeable piece to the Asian trade jigsaw. But the government acknowledges the deal does fall short on some expectations, partly because New Zealand didn't have a huge amount of political or economic heft in the negotiations. However, the Trade Minister Tim Grosser says New Zealand will have what he describes as a second bite of the South Korea cherry during the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement talks. He says it's no secret that if it succeeds, the TPP will spread into other Asian countries, and one of those will be South Korea. I'm Jane Patterson, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to share any thoughts, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz. Our Twitter handle is rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philip Tolley with technical production by Dan Beban.